Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. Let me ask you, as we launch into this new year, in this first sermon of the new year, in this first sermon of this new series, what's your resolution? What's your resolution for 2021? Yeah, it's common to do that, right, to have a New Year's resolution. And normally they would be things like, I want to read more, I want to exercise more, uh, I want to um, be more thankful, um, I want to uh, whatever, you know, it would be, it would be the resolution. But I've noticed that this year uh, people are hesitant. They're hesitant to make resolutions. Why? Because 2020 was so unpredictable. And, if, and, and just because, you know, we went forward one day doesn't mean everything's all of a sudden changed. And so people are kind of hesitant to make any resolutions because it feels like at least the first half of 2021 is going to be just as unpredictable. And, and, uh, and so um, some people just said, I'm not, I'm not even going to try. Um, but can I, can I give you one? Can I tell you what I think should be your top resolution for 2021? Because really it should be your top resolution any year. It is to get to know the heart of Christ. To get to know the heart of Christ. When we speak of the heart, when the Bible talks about the heart, it's, it's talking about more than just emotions or feelings. It's talking about the, the center of who you are. The, the heart is, is the core of your being. It's that thing that animates you. It's the thing that um, defines you. Um, it's the thing that is most true about you. And so to get to know the heart of Christ is to ask, who is he? Who is he? Do you know him? Do you know his heart? Do you know what animates him? We're going to look at, at different scriptures that capture the heart of Christ during this sermon series, but there's one for this very first one, one place in the whole Bible, in all the New Testament, in all the scriptures, where Jesus specifically says something about his heart. He says, this is what my heart is. It's in Matthew chapter 11. In fact, uh, the, one of the verses that we're going to read is on a banner as you enter this sanctuary. Maybe you've seen it so many times that you just walk by it now and you don't even pay attention. Maybe you've heard these verses so many times that, that, and they're so familiar that, uh, that you're tempted to, to check out. Um, but, but let's try to engage this with fresh ears and fresh hearts and fresh minds. Um, so if you're willing and able, would you stand? And I'll read for us. Matthew chapter 11, starting at verse 28. It's so brief that I'll, uh, I'll read it first twice. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. 
Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Holy Spirit, would you um, open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to receive your word, to hear you speaking to us through the preaching of the word now, that we might that we might meet you, that we might experience you, that we might be changed. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, please. So I'm thinking of two questions. The first question is, what do you want to be known for? What do you want to be known for? by your family, by your friends, by your coworkers, What do you want to be known for? Some people want to be known for their intelligence, for the letters that are in front of their name, or the degrees that are on their wall. Some people want to be known for their beauty, for how their body looks, or the kinds of clothes that they wear. Some people want to be known for their money, for the expensive cars that they drive, or the lavish trips that they go on. Some people want to be known for being funny. Some people want to be known for being generous. Some people want to be known for being committed to a cause or to a movement. What do you want to be known for? Do you know what I've wanted to be known for my entire life? My whole life I've been wanted, I've wanted to be known as someone who can solve any problem. So I remember, I have this vivid memory, I I don't, I can't remember if it was in high school or college, but I remember being in a car with a bunch of people, and I was in the back middle seat, and somebody had like a shoe with, uh, with a knot in it, and it was so knotted and so entangled that nobody in the car could undo this knot, and I proudly from the back seat rose my hand and said, hand me the shoe. I will untie the knot, right? Because I am someone who can solve any problem. That's what I've always wanted to be known for. Here's the second question is, what are you actually known for? What are you actually known for? Everyone is known for something. Oftentimes what we want to be known for and what we're actually known for are two different things. So, I want to be known as someone who can solve any problem. But what I'm actually known for is walking through Lowe's, uh, pushing a cart with my kids, and we've gone through the same aisle four times. And, uh, and they all look at me and say, Dad, ask somebody for help. <laughs> like, no, 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 I am going to find this thing. I know it's here. I can solve any problem. Well, what I'm actually known for is the guy who won't stop and ask for help. What are you actually known for? Lori Laughlin and Massimo Giannulli wanted to be known as successful, as having successful children. But what they're actually known for is using their privilege to break the law for being greedy. What are you known for? Maybe what you are actually known for by your family or your friends or your coworkers is something that you aren't too proud of. 
Maybe you wish you weren't known for that trait or that habit or that action. But what if we ask those same questions of Jesus? What does Jesus want to be known for? And what is Jesus actually known for? That second question, what is Jesus actually known for, varies from person to person because it's kind of an experiential thing, right? We know that some people feel like Jesus is harsh, like a policeman who's pulled them over for speeding, or like an angry school teacher. Some people's knowledge of Jesus would be more along the lines of a disappointed coach or a parent. Some people think of Jesus as soft and mushy and accommodating. Others view him as austere and demanding. And yet all of those views of Jesus are radically different from the way that he wants to be known. Jesus wants to be known for something else. So we need to rehear and relearn and re-experience what Jesus wants us to know about him. How is it that Jesus wants to be known? What does he want to be known for? We read it in Matthew 11, verse 28. He says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. I am gentle and lowly in heart. Dane Ortland in his book writes, if Jesus hosted his own personal website, the most prominent line of the about me drop down would read gentle and lowly in heart. And he goes on to define what that means. He says, I am gentle. Jesus is not trigger happy, not harsh, reactionary, easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. The point in saying that Jesus is lowly is that he is accessible. For all his resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, his supreme uniqueness and otherness, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. No prerequisites, no hoops to jump through. Do you know this Jesus? Do you know Jesus who is gentle and lowly? It's not just how he wants to be known. That's who he is. He is gentle and lowly. It says there, Jesus says, for I am gentle and lowly. That for is, is because. It means because. Jesus is saying, because this is who I am, because I am gentle and lowly, I want you to do three things. I want you to come to me. I want you to take my yoke. And I want you to rest. So you've got a sermon outline. Uh, if you're here on the inside cover of your bulletin, if you'd like to follow along and take notes. Because I am gentle and lowly, Jesus says first, come to me. Come to me. Jesus issues a standing invitation. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Another translation says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Another says, come to me, all who are fatigued and overwhelmed. There are two sources of exhaustion that Jesus is identifying here when he's speaking. One is the tiredness that we can all feel from living in a broken world, a world with viruses, a world with division, a world with hatred, a world with death. Do you feel like life isn't working? Do you feel like disappointments just keep piling on? Has the day-to-day -day become a grind? 
Do you feel like you've been squeezed? All the life out of you has been squeezed, all the juice has been squeezed out so that all that's left is the rind. Are you weighed down? Are you burdened? Are you overwhelmed? Come to me. Come to me. I am gentle and lowly. I know what it's like to be weary. I know what it's like to be sad. I know what it's like to weep. A bruised reed I will not break. A faintly burning wick I will not quench. Ortland writes, he says, you don't need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Your very burden is what qualifies you to come. He is tender, open, welcoming, understanding. Are you exhausted? Jesus says, come to me. But there's another kind of exhaustion that Jesus is, is getting at here in this passage. Not just physical exhaustion or emotional exhaustion, but spiritual exhaustion. Come to me, all those who are fatigued by trying to be good enough to earn God's love. The religious leaders of the day talked about carrying the yoke of the law, that, you, that you're to take the yoke of, of the Torah upon yourself, by which they meant follow all the rules and God will accept you. Keep the law and he will love you. Jesus summarized it in Matthew 23. He said, the scribes and the Pharisees tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders. Religion will crush you under its weight. Trying to be good enough is never good enough. I remember when we visited Israel, and we went to uh, Jerusalem, we went to the Wailing Wall, and, uh, and standing there uh, and watching the, the Jewish men and the Jewish boys going through their rituals, tying scriptures uh, to their wrists and to their heads, and saying prayers, repeating prayers over and over again, um, trying to be good enough. It was exhausting just watching them. But we do the same thing in our own ways. There's a missionary who's been listening to Seven Rivers sermons for years, and they wrote to us one time and, and told us, they said, my journey out of religiosity has been very long and slow. I'm embarrassed to confess that I wrote a paper in high school called Accepted of Him about how salvation isn't hinged on if you accept Jesus, rather if He accepts you, and this can only be accomplished by obeying everything the Bible says. That, in a nutshell, was my perception of Christianity, which eventually became something I hated and wanted to flee from. When I was first converted, I started highlighting every commandment in the Bible, systematically laying out a plan to please God. It was a disastrous effort. I started listening to the podcast and realized that it is God's mercy and grace that allows me to see a little glimpse of the blackness of my heart. He didn't let me see uh, it until I had a really big Jesus to run to. Otherwise, it would have been devastating. I found that the true gospel is indeed good news. I find myself choking back tears during worship and prayer in the message because I finally have a small idea of how desperate I am for Jesus. My only hope is to keep internalizing the truth day after day because the message of work to make yourself worthy saturates the world and to a great extent the church. Work to make yourself worthy. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are 
tired of running on the never-ending religious treadmill. Come to me. Lay your deadly doing down. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus' invitation is an invitation to experience grace. Right? In asking us to come to him, it's because he's first come to us. That's what we just celebrated at Christmas time. God so loved the world, it was his love that initiated his sending his only son. Go to him, all you who labor. Go to him, you who are heavy laden. He is gentle and lowly. He is grace in the flesh. Not only does Jesus say, come to me, but he also says, take my yoke. Because I am gentle and lowly, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What was a yoke? A yoke was a, uh, a farm tool. It was a, a beam, a piece of wood that would be uh, laid over two animals in order to, to keep them moving in the same direction and working together. Jesus is, is saying, take my yoke upon you. Hitch yourself to me. What did Jesus say to his would-be disciples? Follow me. Follow me. Learn from me. Not in the classroom by reading, but on the streets by walking. Eat with me, party with me, pray with me, do life with me. Sometimes we use the word discipleship. Jesus is discipling us. Are you yoked to Jesus? Are you walking with him? Are you learning from him? Are you doing life with him? Sometimes we feel guilty because we've started this journey with Jesus, but it doesn't seem like we've gotten very far. It doesn't seem like we've learned very much. And we wonder, has he gotten tired of us? Does he wish maybe that he hadn't called us, that he wasn't yoked to us? So we, uh, our family, around Thanksgiving time, we got a puppy. And watch well, say, the kids got a puppy, Robin and I got a second job. And so, like this dog, we're trying to figure, we, we now have to figure out, what do we do with this now? How do we enculturate this into our family and, and teach it how to be a good dog? And so we found uh, some lessons, some training lessons. And one of the uh, things that the, the lesson tells you is, uh, with the puppy, is be positive, right? It's clever. Dogs have paws. Positive. Be positive. Okay, so when the dog goes to the bathroom on the floor of your living room, like she did this morning, be positive. Right? When, when, uh, when she leaps up and bites your kid in the face, be positive. Um, when she chews up one of your you know, legs of your chair, be positive. So, I am positive that I might give this dog back any day. Um, do you sometimes wonder if that's how God feels about you? Like he, he just goes, did she do that again? Is she really not getting any better? Is he ever going to change? Can I ever rely on him? And maybe I'll just give him back. Maybe I'll just be done with him. And we need the words of Jesus to remind us that that's not true. 
because he says, I am gentle and lowly. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I will be patient with you. I will not be harsh with you. He motivates us not out of fear or intimidation, but out of love. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Ortland writes, he says, Jesus astounds and sustains us with his endless kindness. Only as we walk ever deeper into his tender kindness can we live the Christian life as the New Testament calls us to. Only as we drink down the kindness of the heart of Christ will we leave in our wake everywhere we go the aroma of heaven and die one day having startled the world with glimpses of a divine kindness too great to be boxed in by what we deserve. I love this. What helium does to a balloon, Jesus' yoke does to his followers. We are buoyed along in life by his endless gentleness and supremely accessible lowliness. He doesn't just simply meet us at our place of need. He lives in our place of need. He never tires of sweeping us into his tender embrace. It is his very heart. It is what gets him out of bed in the morning. There's a story about Abraham Lincoln that we're not really sure if it's true or not, but it's a great story. That one time Lincoln uh, went to a uh, slave auction and he was appalled by what he saw there. And uh, one woman in particular drew his attention. And so he began to bid on her. And he bid on her and he bid on her uh, until he won her and uh, went to the auctioneer and, and paid for her and then went up to her and said, you are free. She said, yeah, yeah, right, uh, free. What does that mean? He said, you're free. She said, so, so am I free to do whatever I want? He said, you're free to do whatever you want. She said, well, well am, I, am I free to, to say whatever I want? He said, you are completely free. You can say whatever you want. She began to almost hope and said, so, so does that mean that I'm free to, to go wherever I want? He said, that's, that's what it means. You are free. You can go wherever you want. And with tears of gratitude and joy in her eyes, she looked at him and said, well, then I think I want to go with you. See, all the other yokes in the world that we put on ourselves will only enslave us, but Jesus sets us free. Right? If, you, if you put on the yoke of people-pleasing, then you'll be enslaved to what other people think about you. If you put on the, the yoke of perfectionism and, and hard work, then you'll be a slave to your job. You'll be a slave to, to always performing. If, if you put on the yoke of fear, then you'll be enslaved to anxiety and worry. If you put on the yoke of, of the good gifts that God gives of things like money and, and, uh, and sex and food, all of those things will become things that become burdens on your back. Only the yoke of Jesus can set you free. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, because I am gentle and lowly. Come to me, take my yoke, and then finally Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly, so I want you to rest. Rest. 
Our culture says, um, our culture is okay with rest. They want us to get physical rest, right? Go on vacation is usually what, uh, what we're told, which for us means pack up half your house, load it up into the car, drive some obscene amount of hours away, and then try and do life in a foreign place. Uh, and um, you get home and you think, I need a vacation from my vacation, right? We, we try to rest, and yet rest seems to, uh, to elude us. I was, um, you know, or we think, like, if I just get a little bit more money, or if I get that thing, if I, if I get that uh, new object, or if I have that experience, I'll find rest, and it, it, it just never seems to happen. We were, on New Year's Day, uh, some friends invited us over uh, and uh, to come to their house, and kids play together, and kind of at the last minute, the guy said, hey, you know what, uh, I've got some golf passes, let's go play nine holes, the, uh, our wives will have fun without us uh, just talking, and the kids will play together, and, uh, and, and, and so let's go. And so I, uh, I only play a couple times a year, so through the clubs in the car, and, uh, and we go out, and the, the, the course is beautiful. I mean, this is New Year's Day, it's 83 degrees, there's no one else on the golf course. I'm standing on a par three, I hit an eight iron, it curves right into the green and nestles next to the cup. And I go, this is heaven. It doesn't get any better than this. I get back in the golf cart and I get a text message saying someone in the church died. Rest. We we try our best to to get rest and, and it just seems to slip out of our fingers. So how do we find rest? St. Augustine said, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they can find their rest in you. You've made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Nothing will give us the rest that we long for deep down in our souls. The word in the passage where it's uh, translated soul is actually the the word for psyche, right? Deep down in your psyche and in the, the core of who you are to be able to rest Rest is not an idleness, it's not a life of sitting on the couch, but a life of peace and fulfillment. An African proverb says, Lord Jesus, make my heart to sit down. Lord Jesus, make my heart to sit down, to rest. To rest from our fears and worries over things that we cannot control. Jesus said, you know, which of you by being anxious can add one hour to your life? that we'd be able to rest from, from anxiety. It would, not only that, but be able to rest from a guilty conscience. Jesus says, I can give you rest from those things that, that no one else knows about, but that keep you awake at night. That you think, if, if anyone knew that I did that thing, or if anyone knew that I thought those thoughts, Jesus says, I know, and I can give you rest. Because I, I can cleanse you. I can forgive you. You don't have to carry that burden on your shoulders anymore. You don't have to carry that weight around because I've carried it for you. We can rest because we know that the most important relationship we have, the relationship with our Creator, is set right. You know, here's the counterintuitive thing. When your soul's at rest, then your body can actually be at rest not the other way around. 
It's when you get the deep soul rest that you actually finally physically rest. William Hendrickson writes this. He says, in the study of this marvelous passage, one fact is generally passed by in silence. It is this. The authoritative advice Jesus gives is not only good for the soul. When heeded, it also greatly benefits the body. The rest, the peace of heart and mind, which Jesus here provides, is the very opposite of the aggravated mental stress that sends so many people to doctors, hospitals, and death. Absence of peace, whether in the form of anxiety or rancor and vindictiveness, may lead to ulcers, colitis, high blood pressure, heart attacks, etc. The teaching of Christ, if taken to heart, has a curative effect on the entire person, the soul and the body, because he is a complete savior. Rest. Horatius Bonner was known as the Prince of Scottish Hymnists. Uh, he uh, was from a family of preachers. He had two uh, older brothers that were famous preachers. He himself became a preacher, uh, but what he was really known for was writing hymns. He wrote over 600 hymns, and he really loved writing hymns for children. That was his favorite thing to do for the, for the kids in his church uh, in their Sunday school. And uh, one of the things that, that uh, biographers uh, wondered about was why did he love children so much? Well, he lost, he and his wife lost five of their kids at a young age. Um, think about that, losing five of your children. Uh, and um, his uh, son-in-law was a missionary in France and uh, died suddenly. And so his daughter came home to live with them and she had five kids. And he wrote to a friend one time, God took five children from my life some years ago, and he's given me another five to bring up for him in my old age. Horatius knew suffering. He knew burdens. He knew um, what it was to be weighed down, and yet he also knew where to find rest. His most famous hymn, hymn that he wrote is maybe one that you've heard. It starts this way. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Come unto me and rest. Lay down, O weary one, lay down your head upon my breast. I came to Jesus as I was, so weary, worn, and sad. I found in him a resting place, and he has made me glad. Why is Jesus the one who can offer us rest for our souls? What qualifies him to, to make that promise? He says, I will give you rest. Why can he say that? You remember uh, in the Old Testament, in the, the book of Leviticus, there was this thing called the Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, the, the high priest would go uh, into the Holy of Holies, uh, and he would take two goats. He would sacrifice one goat, uh, and then the other goat, he would uh, place his hands over the goat's head, and he would confess the sins of the people, all the sins of uh, the people of God. And uh, then that goat was led out uh, into the wilderness to wander restlessly. It was this picture of how God was forgiving uh, the sins of his people. Uh, we, we call that goat the scapegoat. Why is Jesus able to give us rest? Why is his yoke easy and light? Because he bore the yoke that only he could for us. He carried our sins on his back 
Why can we rest? Because he was restless in the Garden of Gethsemane, right, getting ready to, to bear the cross. He was restless so that we can be, so that we can rest. His soul was in anguish so that we can rest. Jesus is our scapegoat. He is the one by whom we are cleansed and forgiven. And so make your resolution for 2021 be that you're going to be a person who rests. Every day you're going to rest in the saving work of Jesus for you. Every morning when you wake up, even though you've slept all night, the first thing you ought to say to yourself is, I need to rest. I need to rest in Jesus today. Ortland, uh, he concludes his book this way. He says, the Christian life boils down to two steps. One, go to Jesus. Two, see number one. Whatever is crumbling all around you in your life, wherever you feel stuck, this remains undeflectable. His heart for you, the real you, is gentle and lowly. So go to him. That place in your life where you feel most defeated, he is there. He lives right there. His heart for you, not on the other side of it, but in that darkness, is gentle and lowly. Your anguish is his home. Go to him. So Jesus, we come to you now, and as we, uh, as we sit looking uh, ahead into a new year, which we have no idea what's going to come, this could be the best year of our life. It could be the worst. But Jesus, we know one thing. You've called us to come to you, that you stand with open arms ready to receive us. And so would you, Lord, um, work in us to humble us, to cause us to, to lay our burdens down, to take up your yoke, to find following you easy and light, to be buoyed along in life, to be carried along by your grace and your kindness. And ultimately, Lord, this year, to be people who are at rest, whose hearts are able to sit down because we know your heart, your heart that is gentle and lowly. We thank you, Lord Jesus, and we give you praise. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.